You've got a great plot idea for your novel, but you're not sure which direction to go with it. Or perhaps you've written a great fight scene, but you don't know how to make it come alive. Or maybe you've imagined a fantastical world, but you're struggling to describe it to your readers. Is this something that has happened to you? If only there were a button you could press to get unstuck. Could such a thing actually exist? We'll find out in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Thomas Umstead, Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is a show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a difference with writing worth talking about. And a big part of that success is the quality of the writing itself, not just how good it is, but how fast you can produce books. And I recently did an episode all about AI tools for authors, where I did a big summary of all of the different tools you can use to help write better and faster. And today we're going to do a deep dive on one of those tools called PseudoWrite. And our guest today is an angel investor, sci-fi writer, AI developer, and co-founder of PseudoWrite. James Yu, welcome to Novel Marketing. Thanks, Thomas. I'm happy to be here. So what is PseudoWrite for somebody who's never heard of it before? Yeah, so you summed it up pretty well. Sudorite is a AI assistant for creative writers. So you can think about it as almost like a sparring partner for you while you're editing your book, creating new scenes. You have an AI assistant that can help give you plot ideas. How do you write this next sentence? Or how do you describe this particular element in your story or next plot point? Yeah, and one way to think of it is it's like a thesaurus, but for a paragraph rather than for just one word, right? Because we've always had these tools, right? A rhyming dictionary, thesaurus. Back when people used typewriters, they'd have an actual dictionary to look up the spelling of a word. Pseudorite, in some ways, I feel like is the next step of that, where it's doing more than just replacing a word. It can write a whole sentence or even a whole paragraph. Yeah, precisely. It can actually pierce that veil of the actual content of your story and understand it to a certain point and give you suggestions as if you're collaborating with another human being on your story that maybe you're talking to a friend about your plot and some plot problem that you have and you're trying to unblock yourself. And it goes beyond the thesaurus in that sense where thesaurus has no understanding of your story, right? And this AI can have some degree of understanding. And that's actually one of the central tenets of how we design Sudorite is not here to replace the creative process that which you have set up. It's here as a tool to complement the craft knowledge that you already have, to enhance it, to help fill in gaps. Yeah, I like that. I played with it a little bit doing research for my last episode, which is why I wanted to get you on. So I'm like, this is a really unique tool. It doesn't replace Word or Scrivener. This is a whole new category of tool. And one of the features it has is this describe button. So describe for me the describe button. What does it do? Yes, let's say that you're trying to describe a dragon in your story and you're running out of descriptions in your head or maybe you just don't have the scene fully realized and you just want to see like how the AI would describe this particular dragon in this particular context of your story. So what it will do is actually come back with descriptions of all five senses and metaphorical as well. It comes back with turns of phrases that may or may not be great in your story, but it could spark 
little inspirations for you to describe it in such a way that is not necessarily cliche or things that make you think a little bit outside of the box that maybe you should be thinking about the smoke that is coming, the smell of the acrid smoke coming out from the dragon's bellowing ribcage. Or it could say things like it's, it's powerful, like wings of waves that envelop like a tsunami. So these are the kinds of turns of phrases that it come back with. And it could almost be like little paragraphs here and there. So a lot of our writers, what they're doing is they use this describe tool and take little bits and pieces of it and incorporate it into their prose as well. That's right, because there's kind of two ways you can use it. You can use it and be like, hey, that's actually a pretty good description. Why not? Why not have the, the wings bellowing, right? Or you're like, no, that's not right. You know, This dragon doesn't have that. And the fact that it's wrong kind of kicks your imagination because you, you're a little bit unclear. right? You don't know what it is, but you do know what it's not. And so having it not be described incorrectly actually gets you unstuck. And then you're angry. You're like, no, here's how to do it. And, you know, and then suddenly 500 words come out. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, and sometimes it, it says the things that maybe you're afraid to say. I think that's a, actually a, a large part of the problem. I mean, for me personally, like when I'm very scared to like make a particular kind of call on a character or a description and we're very reticent and the AI is not, right? So the AI can be that friend that will just say anything that's <laughs> just like, okay, I'm going to throw the noodles on the wall and see which ones stick. And so I think what you say is actually quite profound because I always I do think about the AI as helping you fill a negative space too, because it can elicit things that you're like, oh, that's definitely not what I want. I'm going to go directly opposite of what you just said, right? And that actually could be a really fun way to use the AI as a writing challenge. Right? You write some and then you throw it in mm-hmm. and then you push the button and you see which direction the AI takes it. And then now you're not allowed to take that direction because that's the obvious direction. You have to take it in a different direction. <laughs> Oh, for sure, for sure, yeah. Like, oh, the character was going to do this. It was going to open up the door. That's what the AI thought the character was going to do. Now it can't open the door. It's got to yeah. go through the window. So there's a lot of different ways that you can use an AI tool like this. And what you're not recommending and what I definitely don't recommend is to just click the generate button over and over again and then copy and paste that into your document. That's not how to use AI. Just like you're sending somebody a text and it's got autocomplete. You don't always mm-hmm. send the autocomplete message, right? And if you keep clicking the suggested word, eventually it says something that's not what you intended. That's not how you use a tool like this. You use a tool like this to save you time and to get you unstuck it is what I would recommend. What are your thoughts? Totally. We've actually set up the system in Sudorize such that it doesn't insert the text straight into the text editing box itself, but we actually show you the five different suggestions showing up as different note cards on the right-hand side. And we actually, when you insert those note cards into your work in progress, it highlights it as purple. And we tell our writers, hey, this is raw AI text. You should probably consider it. You should probably read it over and organically introduce these ideas into your manuscript instead of what I like to call slot machine mode, where you just let's just generate and generate and generate. And how these AIs work is that if you do that, it, you're going to get basically an absurdism story that doesn't quite make sense. It's not quite coherent because the state of the art of these AIs, it's not able to degenerate an entire novel like that. And even if they could, like I, my my intent with building Sudorite is to create a collaborative tool where humans are at the center and you're using the AI as a tool for your thinking and your story, which is why our incorporation name is called Human Plus Plus. So, you know, it's human at the center, but augmented with creative AIs. Because describe is just one feature, right? That's just one mm-hmm. button. And I wouldn't be surprised. 
of all of your features that will get stolen by Microsoft or Google, that one's probably <laughs> the first one that will show up in Word. Because eventually these tools will be in Word, many of them. Mm-hmm. And yep. when they are, they're not going to give you the competitive advantage they give you now, right? Using a tool right now, PseudoWrite, most people haven't heard of PseudoWrite, which means it's, it, it's giving you an edge. And I'm noticing even in Gmail now, it's using AI suggestions. When somebody sends me an email, it's like, here are three ways you can answer the email. You just click me like, wow, thanks. Mm-hmm. I'm using those sometimes. Because <laughs> uh, you find yourself uh, not wanting to use it because you want to be original? <laughs> I do sometimes. But, uh, but often I get like, so much email, I'm like, whatever. I'm just going to, this is close like, enough. I'll let Robo Thomas just yeah. uh, talk. <laughs> you, you have been responded to by Robo Thomas. But uh, another feature of PseudoWrite is Wormhole. So what is Wormhole? Yes, we've actually renamed this to write now, which is a little bit more clear. You can think of it as like a supercharged autocomplete function where it is looking at the context of what you've written so far. And its entire goal is to write the next paragraph in such a way that the end reader would think it's written by the same author. So if you're writing a romance novel with lush descriptions and complex relationships, it will recognize that and give you a few different versions of the next few paragraphs. And so a lot of our writers, what they're doing is when they get stuck, you can have write just give you different options for how to finish that off or how just even just the next like few words or next few sentences can get you over that hump. But it's also very flexible in the way that you can also guide it in a way. You can say, I want the next generation to be ominous or to be funny, or I want it to hit the next plot point. Can you make suggestions for how this character could kill his father or something in this story? I actually can see that being very good for a mystery, right? I need six different ways for this person to kill this other person. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'll use one of the six, or maybe you'll be like, no, it can't be one of these six. It has to come mm-hmm. up with a different uh, way of killing it. Because part of the fun of a mystery is not knowing what's going to happen next. So if part yeah. of it of the ideas are coming from you, and part of the ideas are coming from an AI generator that's a really great way for suddenly to add the twist right to let the ai pick the twist could be a really powerful way of getting out of your rut just a little bit to add that spice yeah for sure it's kind of like the old techniques some writers would do mystery writers would write with dice they'd write six different things that could happen next and then they'd roll dice and then they'd have to go with that thing so that it's adding a certain level of chaos or uncertainty to the story this is just that times a million in the sense of you have, it's not just six things that could happen. It's an unlimited number of things that could happen. Right. I know also those decks of cards that people have for different story problems. And also those book lists where they have lists of different ways to describe characters or different ways to have a domestic conflict inside of a household. And they just have a whole page of these descriptions. I see that AI is like next, next natural evolution. It's just I imagine if those writers list books could be tailored to your story. So that is where the power of a neural network that has almost achieved a human level of understanding. They've done actually tests with these neural nets and to be able to reflect back themes to you and, and also to write coherent things that pertain to the theme of your story as well. Yeah. So is the write tool similar or the same as the what if tool or is that a different tool? We've actually rolled what if into the right tool. So if you, if you actually sign up today, you won't actually see that anymore. So this is actually a large frontier in a lot of these writing tools in that a lot of AI writing is currently about the trees. 
It's about the next few paragraphs, the next word that you want to write, and it can suggest these things. So a lot of the things that we're working at Pseudorite is the forest. So how do we up-level to the next plot point? And then eventually, how do we help you outline? And how do, you, how do we understand character arcs? So what if, which is actually in right now, it's, it tries to suggest the next plot point that could happen, not directly the next level of the next paragraph directly. So for example, in the dragon story, if the knight goes up and it's a dragon, you can ask it, what if the dragon turned out to actually be the princess reincarnated? That could be one plot point, right? And so that I think is actually gets closer to the heart of a lot of the story problems we have because we are trying, a lot of times when you hit that hairy problem, you're trying to work at that plot point level and getting into the pros too early sometimes is not that great. It's not it. You're maybe spending a lot of time wordsmithing. So we're actually working on ways to get you more of a high level view of the story and therefore can the AI, getting the AI to also work at that higher level. Yeah. Like maybe there's one of your characters you really know. I know what she's going to do. I know what she's going to say, but this other character... I have a real hard time figuring out what he's going to do because he's just really different, right? And well, you feed that mm -hmm. other character into the AI and maybe let the AI make the decisions for the other character of what to do next. And then you have to write the character you get to respond to this other character, right? So you let the AI run the antagonist and you write the protagonist and you let them dance that way is one way you could use this. Mm-hmm. I think the chat component is also interesting as well. We're experimenting under the hood to see if, yeah, what if you could chat with your antagonist? What would you say and what would they say? I sometimes do that when I'm writing sort of this meta documents on my story where I'm just writing freeform sorts of things like chats or like diary entries from the authors. And these kinds of things, actually, the AI is really good at. So you could, a lot of our writers do write this sort of meta document where they're writing about the story and the story problems. The write button can actually help you formulate things at that level as well. And, and so when James is saying meta document, just realize that's also a story Bible or like a guy, right? <laughs> yeah. that, that's the technical yeah, nerd way of describing it. But your world building, right? Here are what the elves look mm -hmm. like. Here's how the planet works, looks like. Or your, even if it's just a romance, right? Here's a page about each character and what their likes are. That's the meta document. So don't let that phrase scare you off. It's just the story Bible. <laughs> yes, I know. That's a <laughs> non-typical phrasing. So actually one related thing is brainstorm. So we have a tool that you can give a context for a certain problem that you have, a story problem that you have. Let's say it is like deciding how the murder should happen in a mystery. You can give it a story context and then you give it maybe two or three examples of how this could be done. Maybe it's the wine bottle in the, <laughs> in the fireplace room and, or they're getting poisoned or something like that. And then the AI can respond with lists of other things that could possibly happen. You can thumbs up the ones you like and that essentially trains the AI to get better at what you like for your book. So that's sort of a separate surface we have. And you can think about it as like a world building area that our writers use. Yeah. And another feature I saw was summarize. Right? So this is one of the things authors hate doing. They hate writing the summary yeah. often you need for your agent needs or for marketing. It's nice to have a plot summary for various people. Can I feed this into my, can I feed my story into here? And it generates a one page summary of the story. Yes. So right now, what it does is it will give you chunk by chunk summary. So it won't necessarily be a coherent one pager, but we are working on that as we speak, actually, to be able to go from an entire novel to like a one pager treatment to maybe a log line as well. So what a lot of our writers do is they just feed a couple chapters at a time into the summarize and they can get the outline for those chapters pretty easily, at least a first stab at it. It'll get you like 90% of the way there. 
That's your million dollar idea right there. Being able to generate the summary, because authors hate that. That's the worst kind of yes. writing. And being able to get that log line and get that summary, mm-hmm. even if they have to do it chapter by chapter, that's a major time saver. Yeah. And even if it's only 90% of the way there, tweaking mm-hmm. that final percent to be correct is way better than having to tell your story over again, but yes. in fewer words where you're telling instead of showing and breaking all the rules, right? Summarizing is really rough. And so if the AI can do that, that's a real stress reliever. Yeah. That's totally the biggest flow killer for me to have to go into that summary mode in my mind. I feel like it's a very different part of my brain. But it's actually shockingly good how well the AI can go from a larger story into a logline, which to me tells me that the AI in some ways understands the thrust of the story, which is very eerie. (laughs) Well, and I will say most marketing people at most publishing houses don't read the books that they're putting together loglines for and marketing phrases because there's the, the reading is too much. And so mm-hmm. you're not competing with a marketing person who's read every word of the story. You're competing with the marketing person who skimmed the p- book proposal. And so if you can <laughs> feed the AI the whole story, I'm not surprised that it can beat the humans. Because you know, I, I know what it's like working in a publishing house. These, these people are spread really thin. And mm-hmm. if you're James Patterson, they'll probably read every word. But if you're yeah. the new person, they're <laughs> skimming it. They're launching a book right. every two days. Yep. And they just don't have the time to give it that detail. And so I could see this as a marketing person actually being a really useful tool, right? You read the book proposal, you have the manuscript, mm-hmm. you can skim it, but you also can feed it in, get some ideas. Yeah, I've actually talked to some folks in the publishing industry for this particular tool, and their eyes go wide because they always say, oh, what if this could help me with my slush pile and just read everything for me? That's their desired path for sure. <laughs> there are other AI tools, like I went through in my episode on AI tools. There's one that's really designed specifically for the slush pile, and another subtext, which is going the opposite direction from you. So that's starting with the outline and then going down to the scene level. I could see your tools working together in a really interesting way where people generate the scene description with subtext, and then they take that description, feed it into PseudoWrite to get the actual scene. It's definitely a Cambrian explosion right now. There's a lot of wealth of tools that For the act of storytelling, which has not actually changed that much from a technological standpoint besides digital note cards. So we are at a pretty wealthy point right now in terms of the options that authors have to help them ideate on stories. Yeah, we had typewriter, which is a big development, and then typewriters with spell check built in, and then the word processor (laughs) came out, which is basically a typewriter, but with a few more tools. And now suddenly the number of tools are just greatly expanding, like you're saying, where there's Tools that are doing things that before there was no tool that did it at all. So it's not like, oh, this is like a typewriter, right. but better. It's like, no, this is like um, a friend who's reading your book and giving you suggestions. <laughs> it's like, that's the closest thing that this is similar to. Yeah, for sure. And I would also stress that there's no like manual for using AI with the craft of fiction yet. The, the one true path. Our writers use it in many different ways. But we're in the very early stages. It is a lot of discovery and experimentation right now, how it fits into your particular workflow. And it's something that we are trying to work with writers closely to figure out, like, how does it pair in a mindful way, right, with craft? Now, you have a beta reader feature I'm curious about. So is this an AI beta reader who's giving you feedback? Yes. So it's currently a labs feature. It's a beta, beta reader feature. Beta, 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 beta squared reader. It will essentially analyze your story. And currently it works only up to about, I think, 3,000, 4,000 words. Not quite to novel length yet, but you could throw a chapter at it. 
And think of it as like a critique partner. It will reflect on the themes of what it found in your story. And it's similar to the log line, right? It sort of just summarizes it. And then it will tell you things that it, quote unquote, like. And so we instantiate three virtual readers for you that reflect on, oh, I like the scene of the dragon. I liked how the descriptions they use for bellowing. Or I liked that there was this twist about the princess being the incarnate into the dragon, right? And so the intent of this is to not necessarily replace your beta readers, because I think beta readers are very important. <laughs> you should definitely have humans reading your story. But it can help supplement it for in cases where maybe it's just the first draft and you're not really ready to show it. You just want it to reflect like how the cliches or the tropes that it's seeing inside of your particular passage. But for me, it's actually been helpful just to unearth themes and the subtext that I need to get onto the page. Because actually for my own writing, expose certain themes in a story that I didn't know I was incorporating. So that helps me get it my, out of my head and out of my subconscious and being like, okay, I should accentuate some of these themes. Oh, it saw some of these themes. I guess it's right. Oh, wow. It's crazy. Okay. I should maybe not, I don't want that. I don't want that theme in there. Yeah. I should go in <laughs> yeah. and start re doing a closer read on these parts that it thinks it's reading on. And you can do this as many times as you want. We are also being mindful about giving too much prescriptive feedback in this tool because I don't think it's ready for that. I'm definitely not to a place where I'm comfortable having an AI say, you need to change this part of the plot because X, Y, Z. It's not quite there yet. I think that with some research and more development, we'll get there. But even just the part where it's reflecting on the themes that it's seen is good enough. It's, it's actually adding quite a bit of value for our writers. And can you ask it questions like, how can I make this scene more exciting? Like, can it give feedback like that? We can get there with the right button. Because in the right button, you can give it guidance, essentially, like a one sentence guidance of like how you would like the scene to proceed. And the AI will take that guidance and try to land it there. You can think of it as like, oh, you have a very, maybe a very junior <laughs> writing assistant, and you can only give them one sentence of what to do next. So you could say like, I want something unexpected to happen. And the AI will follow suit. And actually, there's a lot of advanced techniques that I'm also trying to teach a lot of our writers that you can write what I call synthetic scenes in a way or synthetic sentences. Like within the scene, you could actually say something like you have your normal scene and you say, hey, and then something very unexpected happened, colon. And just see what the autocomplete, the write, will do next. Because that will key the AI into a particular groove of, oh, it wants me to write something unexpected. I will try <laughs> my best to <laughs> make something that is unexpected, given all the things that I've read in the world already. And it's shockingly good at that, too, to give you these various different options. So it's very flexible in that way. So with AI writing whole sentences or maybe even whole paragraphs, we have to talk about the legal ramifications because everyone yes. is curious about this. And it's concerning, right? Because if, if I use PseudoWrite or one of the other GPT-3 OpenAI tools... Does that mean that you suddenly own the copyright to my book? So we do not own the copyright. So you own everything that the AI generates from PseudoWrite. And the legal doctrine, if I understand this correctly, is that since I'm the one as the author feeding in the impetus, right? Because the AI can't write from nothing. The way these tools work, you feed it some paragraphs or you give it an idea, and then it takes it from there. And the act of feeding it the idea that's the creative act from a legal perspective, right? The fact that Microsoft Word fixed my spelling on 10,000 instances inside of my book doesn't give Microsoft 
any sort of legal right to my book because I was the one who wrote the misspelled word in the first place. And so the prime creative act is still resting with me, the human, not Mm -hmm. with the artificial intelligence. And AI isn't a legal entity. It can't sue you. It can't be sued. It's not recognized by the courts. So there are non-human legal entities, right? Apple Inc. is a legal Mm -hmm. entity. (laughs) But Apple Inc.'s artificial AI that powers Siri is not. So Mm -hmm. the the corporations exist, but but artificial intelligence is invisible to the eyes of the law, as far as I understand. Is that a good summary of where we're at right now? Yes, that is a good summary. I would like to emphasize I am not a lawyer. <laughs> I will not give legal advice specifically. I will touch on one area, which is that if, for example, you give the pseudorite or, or any, any of these AIs, just my name is Ishmael, period, it will happily provide Moby Dick. Right. Because, again, going back to its training, it's trying to figure out, like, what are you trying to get it to write such that it's cohesive? And it's definitely read Moby Dick. So what we always say to our authors is, as long as you are giving it your words, original content, you're safe. That it will, through the act of the random seeds that it has in its AI, also provide content that is original. But if you were trying to get it to plagiarize and try to unearth things verbatim, you can get the neural network to do that. So we always say, yeah, you need you should give it original content, then you're safe. And there are tools that will check for plagiarism, like Grammarly and Pro Writing yep. Aid. And so if you're a good actor, like with all tools, with guns, software, <laughs> mm-hmm. even yep. food, right? You can use it for good or you can use it for evil. And the more powerful the tool, the more good you can do and the more evil you can do. So you can use this kind of technology to, I don't know, let's say have 100,000 Twitter bots, all Mm -hmm. AstroTurf, a certain hashtag with content in favor of your idea. (laughs) And each one of those Twitter bots are sounding very human and saying things and using the hashtags. You can do that. You couldn't do it with PseudoWrite, but the technology powering PseudoWrite, you could do it. And so... I do think it is important for us to talk a little bit about the ethics. We talked about the legality. AI doesn't really exist in a legal perspective, right? Guns don't get sued when someone gets shot. The person holding the gun, right? The laws ultimately are governing humans or collections of humans like a corporation. But just because something's illegal doesn't mean that it's ethical. So mm-hmm. is it ethical to use a tool like this? I do think it goes back to the creative work that you're applying to the output, and so this goes back to why when we insert the text, it's, it's purple and that you should do your creative work. I always say, if you're a bad writer, like pseudorite is not going to make you a good writer, right? It's not going to be a magical, magical, you push the button, your entire work is now going to be next bestseller. That's not going to happen. <laughs> so we say, as long as you're doing the work to collaborate with the AI, that being said, there are people who are also just trying out our platform to just do the casino style, pull it many times and just filter out like a, a novel from that. There's a lot of effort that required to do that that I think would actually equate to you doing the creative work of actually writing a story anyway. So it may actually be a moot point in that way. But certainly I mean, you could go to Sudorite, generate a bunch of things, don't even look at it, and then publish in Amazon and call it your name. I personally would not do that. I do not encourage our writers to do that, but it is possible. I mean, the same with the autocomplete of sending a text message, right? And you keep pressing the autocomplete over and over again. 
if you don't step in from time to time, it keeps getting fed in its own inputs and Mm -hmm. it takes it off into crazy directions. And that act of you being there is just as much of a creative act. Just because it's using different tools and a different approach doesn't mean that it's not still important, right? Like Michelangelo didn't paint the Sistine Chapel. He painted parts of it, but he had Mm -hmm. 13 or 17 assistants. And so the famous part of God and Adam almost touching hands, we don't know if Michelangelo was holding the brush or not. It might have been him. Probably. That's the center of the painting. So if I were Michelangelo, that would have been the part I grabbed and I let the assistants do the edges. But it's not like we had <laughs> photographers like, like, oh, that was Michelangelo and that was assistant number five. Mm-hmm. We don't really know. But we do know that it was Michelangelo's creative vision that was captured on the ceiling. And so whether or not it was him applying the paint or somebody else applying the paint, he's the one who gets the credit because he was the one who had the ultimate vision and if somebody painted it wrong, he'd be like, no, do it this way. Or maybe he'd take the brush out of the assistant's hands and fiddle with it. He was the leader. And so mm-hmm. as the leader, he's the one getting the credit. And when you're using an AI tool like this, to use it correctly, where it's actually helping you create something worth reading, and in an ethical way, you still have to be the leader. You have to provide the creative impetus. You have to be the one with the vision. You need to know what kind of story you're mm-hmm. writing. So it's giving you options if you're stuck but you're still the one choosing which option to pursue. Yes. Another analogy to look at is Photoshop for digital artists. When you're using Photoshop, you're not painting every single pixel on that canvas. And I do think this marks a big difference in the evolution of the tools. We were talking about the typewriters and typewriters going to word processors that we've never, writers have never had like a Photoshop. So this is an analogy that we use in our company a lot that, hey, just because you use Photoshop doesn't mean that It either invalidates or validates your art as an artist, right? It's how you use that tool. And hey, you may use some filters and and there are some AI tools inside of Photoshop. Now you can use that to shape your composition, but you're still the human in the loop, right? So now if you think about Pseudowrite and AI writing software as a Photoshop, if you will, for writing, I think that analogy makes it a little crisper. Yeah. And a lot of people listening are like, I've never used Photoshop. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. you have the choice with Photoshop how much you're going to use it, right? Maybe you're just changing the contrast and making the reds a little bit less. Like you have a lot of options with how you use it. And the the ethical thing is not to be like, oh, here's a picture of my grandmother shooting Kennedy. See, it's a it's a photo. <laughs> it was obviously her. <laughs> she was the second gunman. It's like, so there is a level of suspicion now that we have of photos. You can go too far. Right. Where it's like, you know, and if you don't believe me, just Google photos of Bigfoot and you'll find a lot of photos of Bigfoot. <laughs> so obviously there's a risk of using a tool like this too much where you're leaning on it mm-hmm. exclusively and it ruins your writing. But that's not really my concern with Pseudowrite. I think for most people listening, my concern is their risk is that they're not going to use a tool like this at all because they're afraid of using it too much. And it's like mm-hmm. even just occasionally, right, it's like, oh, these 10 photos are good, but the 11th one needs a little bit of work. But we really want to capture one with grandma and the bride. So Photoshop allows us to save that photo and, and make it a mm. good photo. That's where I think AI tools work best, where they're coming in and helping fill in the gaps, helping get unstuck, helping you think in a different way, right? Like using the describe tool and getting you angry where you're like, no, that's not it. And then you Mm -hmm. go on a flurry of writing that you're using AI there, even if not a single word of the AI ended up in the document. And that's really helpful. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's our entire goal as a company. It's not to produce more AI words. It is to unblock authors. If they never use a single generation from the AI, but we help them write a thousand more words per day, I would say that's our job done, right? And similarly, a, a good pathway that a lot of authors use is they need to workshop this one particular chapter. They're just having a lot of problems on. Maybe they've critiqued it and they just want a different you just want to break out of that box, right? And so they're really like going in and nitty gritty with the right button, the scribe button to just get at different elements of it. And they just, but they, you won't necessarily do that with every chapter of your book. Maybe it is that the one problematic chapter that you're throwing everything on it. And we say, hey, why not try it with the AI? And also the, the ability of the, yes, the AI to be yes and, right? It will build upon what you're giving it. It will never poo-poo it. It, it will never get tired of your stories or say that you're stupid or like, this is bad. It was just, oh, you give me the X, how about X plus Y? Yeah. yeah. And that's a really great part about AI. And in some ways it is an improvisation partner for you. And one other cool tool of this, and I don't know if anyone's using it in this way yet, but it allows, say, a blind writer to add in visual descriptions to a story because it can get the AI to generate visual descriptions, right? The example I used in my last episode, I don't really have a sense of smell. But with a tool like this, it could give me ideas of ways of working in that sense. And I, I would never come up with senses of smell for scene. I know the sense mm. of smell exists. I can occasionally smell things, but it's really awkward. I have to check a diaper of my kids. I have to like shove my nose into the diaper and it is, oh my God. It is demeaning. <laughs> <laughs> it's demeaning for both me and the child. <laughs> um, my two-year-old wow. finally can tell me if he's poopy or not, which is really helpful. Right? And so... A tool like this helps me with the sense of smell, which obviously for writers is one of the lesser important senses. But for somebody who's got a, a one of the more significant senses diminished, right? Their, their vision's mm-hmm. not very good. Their hearing's not very good. A tool like this can really help them where they're weak in some really interesting mm-hmm. ways. And as that happens, I'd love to hear that story of somebody who's deaf or somebody who's blind or has some real impairments in that way, able to use this tool to really strengthen their writing in a way where otherwise it would be really difficult. What else should I ask about saying one element of pseudowrite have we not hit on? We do also have some other functions that are aimed at specific kinds of writing. Like we do have a poetry tool and it, it could possibly help with epigraphs and things like that in your novel or just songs, actually. So it can ha- be very lyrical in that way. So if I want the dwarves to write a song, but I don't want to actually write the song. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I do wonder in that case, like maybe your reader don't want to, doesn't want to read that song anyway. <laughs> I don't know if you're that kind of reader. I typically like to gloss over those. But another big function that we didn't touch on was rewrite. So this is actually a pretty well-used function. It's, you can think of it almost like Photoshop filters. Let's say that you do have a passage in your text and you want to make it more sensual or you want to make it more ominous. But you're like, but no, no, I don't want the AI to go off the rails and just write a new scene or a new paragraph in that way. I just have a specific paragraph. So you can give it guidance or just rewording, right? I know that Word does have a sort of a rephrase thing, but this goes beyond that. It gives the AI has a little bit more latitude to make it more Machiavellian, you know, and it will introduce kind of new vocabularies that you maybe wouldn't have to think about using. So this is a good pairing with the describe feature as well. So an instance where this is really useful, a common challenge a lot of authors have when they're first getting started is the characters all sound similar to each other and often really mm-hmm. similar to the author. And giving different character voices, different voices from each other where you can tell just from the dialogue, oh, that's Sally. That's exactly how Sally would say it. That takes some time to get there. And so a tool like this, we're like, yeah, Sally's more sarcastic. So say this, but make it more sarcastic. 
could really help giving Sally her own separate voice, help you separate your character voices from each other. I can see this being a really useful tool if that's what you struggle with. Yeah, for sure. I actually thought about that specific use case, but that gives me an idea that we should have a whole product that can extract all the lines of text and then be able to apply it, filter it wholesale. I think that would be pretty awesome. Yeah. There you go. This is what's fun about yeah. this new yeah. era <laughs> is two or three years ago, it was all hypotheticals. Like it's coming soon, but the tools didn't really work. and Or you had to like get your own beta license for GPT-3 and you had mm-hmm. to set up your own thing. And just getting the tool to work was this big hassle and it was really impenetrable. Whereas with PseudoWrite, you just create an account, you have a free trial. So somebody could create a free account and feed in words and get feedback right away and see how the tool works. And the barrier for entry has gotten way lower. So, you know, we've thrown out this phrase GPT-3. You don't need to know what that is. And for those of you listening in the future, I'm sure it'll use GPT-4, right? Like mm-hmm. that that part's you no longer need to know about. You don't have to understand the difference between volts and amps and watts to use an electric drill. And that's what's really exciting for me. Yeah, for sure. And I think these kinds of tools will be mainstays. So I see myself as an ambassador to this is how do we apply this to the literary world. And we're discovering it together with our user base. Yeah. Where can people find out more about PseudoWrite? Yeah, so if you go to sudowrite.com, you can just open up a new account there and, and give it a whirl. We have a free trial. We have a, also have a pretty active Slack community. So people are just trading tips on how to write novels, poems, short stories. We have screenwriters as well. So anyone who's writing a long-form narrative, that's our sweet spot. So give it a try for your work in progress. All right, pseudowrite.com, S-U-D-O-Write.com. James Yu, thank you so much for joining us today on the Novel Marketing Podcast. Thanks, Thomas. It's been a pleasure to be here. After our interview, James agreed to give Novel Marketing listeners an extended free trial. I asked nicely. He said yes. Uh, So the normal trial comes with 4,000 AI words, but Novel Marketing listeners will get 8,000 free AI words. And he also offered to give me an affiliate link for a pseudo-write, which I thought was nice. So you can find that link, which will activate the extended trial at authormedia.com slash 340. Or just scroll to the bottom of the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. Our featured patron today is Daniel Bishop, author of Place of Refuge. Dinah Jo knew she was meant to be a mom. Her body disagreed. After a devastating miscarriage, she starts to research foster care and adoption. Will heaven send a baby to a family full of love to give? Place of Refuge is the first novel in the heartwarming Baskin Family Foster Journal series. Daniel Bishop, thank you so much for being a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast. Thank you for keeping this show on the air. I could not do it without you and the other lovely patrons who support the show. And of course, we'll have a link if you would like to become a patron in the show notes as well. The Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of Author Media. Our producer is Lori Christine. This episode's audio was edited by William Mumstadt, and the blog post version is crafted by Shauna Lettler. To read the blog version of this episode, visit authormedia.com slash 340. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr. saying thank you for listening and live long and prosper.